Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, Thank you. I'm a sex addict and I want to thank you so much for helping me with this problem that I'm going to be talking about. You see, I've got one and a half year sobriety and I am really struggling with my relationship. I'm working the steps. Matter of fact, I'm on step seven. And I'm doing that with a sponsor. I attend two to three meetings a weekend, have weekly group therapy. Good for him. Wow. Individual therapy with a CSAT. I love that. And weekly marriage therapy. I just identified that my wife who I've been married to for eight years, stonewalls me, always has. But I didn't have a term for it. I'm finding that my empathy and trigger busters do nothing for the stonewalling. Okay, so that tells me he has read my book, Help Her Heal. Got two chapters in there, one on trigger busting and one on empathy. Do you have any help for me? I need help navigating this because I feel helpless. By the way, I love your work, and I am forever grateful. So I got this email today, and I said to him, you know what? I will talk about this the first 15 minutes of the show because you and I both know that this guy is rocking it when it comes to his own individual recovery. You know my eight out of ten recovery steps and or tools, and he is working the steps. That's great. With a sponsor, that's great. Attending meetings, fantastic. Weekly group therapy. I hope that's sex addiction group therapy. 
that's what it's supposed to be. Individual therapy with a CSAT, fantastic. And he's going to weekly marriage therapy. Now, I got this bias, and you're going to hear from Tim Stein later on in the show, and I know he feels the same way. I don't know how long they have actually been in recovery, but as much work as he's doing, they probably are ready to do some couples therapy. Prior to, um, gosh, at least three months of recovery, a disclosure, prior to that, Early couples recovery work really can't emphasize more than empathy. But it sounds like he's right online. So the deal is that he's married a woman that power struggles him, and it's called stonewalling. Now, that's a term that came from John Gottman. And John Gottman is the guru research therapist an amazing man. I've heard him speak many times to our sexual addiction community, really is working along with Pat Carnes and Stephanie Carnes, and and has really moved into um, chronic infidelity and sex addiction. I mean, he doesn't call it sex addiction, but he works with couples now that have experienced many, many, many types and forms of betrayal. And many of you probably have heard of his work. He wrote a book called, um, I think it's The Seven Principles to Making a Successful Marriage or Making a Marriage Work. It's, it's a wonderful book. has a lot of good research in it as well as surveys. And um, the most important thing about his work out of this book is he says that if you are having trouble with your marriage, there are four things that contribute to the demise of a marriage, and they are, let's see if I can remember this, defensiveness, criticism, stonewalling, and the worst one, which is contempt. And he actually says you can have all four, but the worst one is contempt. And so if you've got contempt in your marriage, that means you don't like the person. Well, this guy, and we'll call him Trevor, Trevor says that his wife is a stonewaller. Now, you know what? This is what I believe, Trevor. Stonewalling is really, really tough. And for anybody who doesn't know what that means, stonewalling is when you've got somebody who absolutely has to have their way. And when they don't feel like they've gotten their way, they walk away and they don't work through it. They stonewall the situation. And it is a power struggle and it's one that you can't really do much with because if they walk away, you don't have anything to do. But usually that occurs after um, a lot of conflict. So there's this storming atmosphere a lot of conflict, and then he or she walks away. Now, John Gottman says this is really detrimental to a marriage because the number one contributing factor that any relationship needs to make it successful is compromise and negotiate. Now, I'll tell you a secret, Trevor. I, um, my husband's a stonewaller. 
I love my husband. He is great, but we all have our flaws. I do too. And when we get into a disagreement about something, the more I try to get him to see my side, the more he feels bullied and he will just stonewall me and walk away. Well, here's what I do, and I talk about it in the book, Help or Heal, an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. One is you've got to diffuse that, um, that wall, if you will. Let's, let's metaphorically call it a wall. That's where stonewalling comes from. So I know that I'm not strong enough to change anybody's behavior. But what I do believe is that I contribute to the problem and I can, you know, I always say, you know, do you contribute to or do you contaminate a problem? And when I continue to try to get him to see my way, it's just not helpful. As a matter of fact, he will look at me and say, don't bully me, Carol. Now, guys, I am the last person to bully anybody. But because I practice good emotional maturity, I say to myself, I am certainly not bullying him. However, if he feels bullied, that's what counts. So I immediately back off. And then I give him a little bit of time to breathe. Come back to the situation, John Gray says, always let your partner know when you're coming back. And I come back and I say in a very soft tone, John Gottman would call this a soft repair attempt. He, uh, he would say, go back to the partner with a soft tone and say, hey, I don't want to fight about this. I really want us just to to work this thing out, and I want to validate what you're saying. So, Trevor, what you might want to do, because she's walked away, is give her a little time and then go find her and say, you know what, I want to work this out. And the first way I want to work it out is that I want to validate what you said. And so that may look like I'll make up a hypothetical situation. Um That may look like my AVR. I want to acknowledge the fact that we were at dinner and you thought you saw me looking at that waitress a little too long. And I want to to acknowledge the fact that, you know, I hurt you deeply in the past and the consequences of my actions are haunting us. And for that, I am so, so sorry. Okay, that's acknowledging the issue. Then you want to validate the feelings. And I can absolutely understand that you feel very angry and scared right now, probably more scared than angry. Now, Trevor, you're saying this even if you absolutely, positively, uh, indubitably know that you didn't look at that waitress but you're validating her experience. This is what she thinks she saw. Then you, after you've acknowledged and you validate, you want to recognize, reinforce, 
and respond in a way that says, so I just want you to know that I'm in this marriage to make you feel safe. And what I've done has it, but I am working my butt off to make you feel safe. So next time, how about if we have a situation whereby I'll sit facing the wall, um, you squeeze my hand if you feel I'm doing something unreasonable or rude or um, disrespectful, and that will give me the cue that I need to change something and then we can talk about it. Because you really want to reassure her that you're in it to win it. Now, I understand, Trevor, that living with a stonewaller can be very, very difficult because it really means that you're in a lot of conflict, conflict that doesn't feel workable. And what did you say earlier? You said... um, Oh, yeah. I just identified that my wife stonewalls me and always has, but I haven't had a term for it. So I would encourage you to get John Gottman's book, The Seven Principles of a Successful Marriage. I would encourage you to find a partner-sensitive therapist um, who can do a little work around the addiction. I'm assuming you've got, you know, you didn't say if you're a weekly marriage therapist. This was somebody who understands the trauma and the drama from your perspective, but the trauma that goes along with being married to somebody that you can't quite trust. And since I don't know how long, you said you've got one and a half years sobriety. And I don't know how long you've really been working on this, and I don't know if you had the disclosure so that you could share the truth. It seems like you're doing everything from the book, and I want to commend you for that. Doing this kind of stuff is not easy, and then when you don't see results, it's almost as if you go, oh my gosh, can I live with this? I've caused her so much pain. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to put her through this? But the truth of the matter is, Trevor, it takes a brain. Well, you know this from your own recovery. It takes three to five years for you really to get, well, to develop the new neural pathways that make you and will continue to make you a healthy individual. And it takes just as long for a partner. We're doing the research right now, but I can tell you after working in this field since 2007 that I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and perhaps even thousands of partners, and every one of them is different, but very much of it is all very predictable. It's understandable. Trauma is understandable, and that takes a while to heal. So don't give up. You keep working on yourself. You keep working on the marriage. Get that book. That book is going to help you to understand all the ways that you can do those soft repair attempts. Um, You'll be learning from one of the finest, John Gottman. And I just wish you the best of luck. And I want you to send me another email. Let me know how you're doing. 
thank you again for being so kind to me and also getting back with me and telling me I'm the hardest working person in the field because although I'm not, I'm pretty damn hardworking. Very similar to another person that I've got on the show tonight. I mean, this man, he's an author, and he has written a meditation book called Gifts of Recovery, Daily Meditations for Men and Women in Recovery from Sex Addiction. He co-produced an online video series that I, I put this out on one of our listservs, and I said, oh, you guys have to see this online video um, that he and Jeannie Batoni did together. And it, it's like it's the basics, but it's more than the basics. It's the basics of helping people understand what goes on in sex addiction and partner betrayal. But it also really gives some very helpful ideas on what to do to calm down the brain, deal with the trauma. And then Tim facilitates all of these different groups, 12-step groups, therapist groups. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. And so we're really lucky to have him on the show tonight because he is a wealth of knowledge. Tim Stein, thank you for coming on and, and talking about all these projects that you've got going on. <laughs> thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be on your show again. It's always good to talk to you. Yes, I agree. And let me tell you, I mean, you really do have your finger on the pulse of what the community needs, what professionals need, what partners need, and certainly what sex addicts need both for their own recovery and for their couple's recovery. And and, and the first thing I really wanted to talk to you about is I wanted to find out, you know, you've been doing this work for over a decade, and do you think sex addiction has changed over that time? You know, when we're looking at the neurology of of addiction, you know, I I don't know that it. Well, obviously, it hasn't changed. Sex addiction is sex addiction is sex addiction. But our understanding it has uh, of it has sure changed. Um, when I first started doing this work, mostly what we were looking at were the behavioral patterns. And you know this. You were doing that work back there with me. You know, we were looking at the uh-huh. behavioral patterns. You know, we. We, we looked at it and we said, well, you know, this behavior becomes out of control, becomes problematic. Here are the patterns that we're seeing. You know, here's what we have found that works, you know, whether it's from a 12-step perspective or whether it's from a clinical perspective. Um, and, and, you know, we, we were prescribing uh, interventions. We were prescribing stuff because we found that it worked. You know, that's, that, I think that was very sound clinical work at the time. But since that time, what we, you know, the, 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 the invention of the functional MRI and the ability to actually see the brain working, um, you know, real time has just been a godsend to us. And so we have such a better understanding of the neurology of what's going on in the brain. And so when we look at all those patterns, you know, suddenly now we're, we're able to piece together why those patterns of addiction make sense. You know, we see the, the frontal lobe, you know, get overloaded, and we see the parts of the frontal lobe that have to do with attention get locked and, and hyper-focused on, on, on whatever the addictive urge or the addictive craving is. 
we see the parts of the brain that have to do with sort of containment and um, self-control dim and kind of go offline and make it really difficult to stop. We, we see neurologically what's going on, which makes, helps us to better understand the patterns that we had been seeing. And when, you know, the neurology and the, the behavioral patterns match up and we're like, oh, I get it. This isn't just someone behaving badly. This isn't just, you know, a bad habit that, that really has, you know, legs to it. This is behavior that has changed the brain and the brain is reinforcing the behavior and it isn't nearly as easy as just saying, well, just stop it because the uh, neurology, what we understand has sort of broadened so much of, of that picture. uh, For me, when, when we talk about what is, what has changed about our understanding of sex addiction, hands down, it's understanding the neurology and, I'm not a neuroscientist, but thank goodness that we've got those guys out there doing this work and, and putting out that information to help us clinicians understand what we're seeing in the office. Well, and you and I both know when we studied under Patrick Carnes, one of the things Pat said was, hey, you're not just going to learn how to be a therapist here. You are going to be able to study the brain and understand how it functions And in some level, you're going to be many brain scientists because truly, at that point, he was having his brain checked. And I remember him telling the story of he, Mm -hmm. his um, clinician, was able to identify the ages he had experienced his own personal abuse. And they saw that in the neural pathways of the brain. Uh, And, you know, you think, well, how could that be? And he said, in some ways, the tree, um, the brain is like a tree. It has a certain amount of rings. It has a certain amount of neural pathways. And there are grooves and ruts that show serious trauma and abuse. And so many of our addicts and even our partners have been through that kind of trauma. Oh, yes. And, you know, that's one of the pieces about neurology that I'm, that I'm also so excited about is that, you know, we – we are learning more and more, not just about the neurology of addiction, but the neurology of trauma. And so not only can we better understand the addict and what their addict patterns look like and where they come from, but we can also understand the trauma. And I'm going to start on the addict side here. We understand the trauma that people have gone through and how that trauma has impacted their brain and how it impacts the functioning of their brain. You know, uh, when, when somebody has a trauma reaction and their brain goes offline, you know, um, they're not going to function cognitively very well. Most of the addicts that I work with have experienced trauma, whether that's major significant trauma like, you know, severe sexual abuse as a child or whether that's what we would refer to as relational trauma, you know, not feeling emotionally connected to your parents, um, parents being uh, overly focused on other things and not really focused on you as a child or being so focused on you as a child that you had the sense that you had to live up to certain expectations so that your parents were okay. But all of that creates trauma reactions neurologically in the brain. And so as an addict, when their brain goes offline and their survival brain says, I need to survive, then what their survival brain has learned is go to the addiction in order to get through this 
you know, their brain isn't going to be able to fight that. And it actually comes up with all these crazy stories. You know, how many, how many addict justification stories have we heard? You know, I figured if I didn't use my hands, it wasn't really masturbation. You know, the Bill Clinton stories, you know, well, oral sex <laughs> wasn't really sex. You know, we've heard, you know, you and I have heard all of these justifications from addicts. And when you really boil down to it, typically what I have found it to be is there was a significant experience that set off a trauma reaction. Neurologically, their brain went offline. Their survival brain wanted to survive. It went to the addiction. And their, their cognitive brain, which was no longer functioning well, kicked into, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll justify that to make it okay. And, and when we look at it without a neurological understanding, we think, well, this person is just, you know, like temporarily insane, which, is, is, you, know, you know, you can be argued that that might be true. But when you look at it with a neurological understanding and we can say, oh, this person had a trauma reaction, their frontal lobe went offline temporarily while the survival brain was trying to take care of it. And the way that we help them get through that is to get their brain back online. But we understand their behavior not just from the perspective of someone behaving badly, but of someone who is a trauma survivor whose brain is still reacting to trauma. And then we take that same model. And now, you know, I think this is one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm equally excited about is we can look at that same model and say, oh, and now we understand that the partners of sex addicts experiencing betrayal trauma. We're understanding that the partners of sex addicts their brain is having a trauma reaction. And so when partners of sex addicts are doing something that back in the days when we used, you know, the codependent model, because we didn't know better, we would look at them and say, well, they're being yeah. codependent. They're, 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 they're doing all this stuff, and they just need to learn not to do that. And obviously they need to do their work so that they stop doing that. And now we can look at it and say, oh, they're having a trauma reaction. They're reacting to this, this experience that feels to them like a secret, like a betrayal, like the trauma that they've been experiencing in this relationship for so long. And their survival brain is desperately trying to survive. Whether that action makes complete sense or not, whether a neutral person would say that's rational or not, but we understand that it's a a neurological trauma reaction and their brain is just trying to survive. I, I love being able to, to look at the, the behaviors that are so um, painful and problematic and understand why they're there from a neurological perspective. It's not someone who is behaving badly. It's not someone who is mean and malicious. It isn't somebody who is vindictive and angry. It's somebody whose brain has been impacted by trauma and addiction, and neurologically we understand where that comes from. Well, and you and I both know that when we understand the trauma response and we can see that his or her executive functioning has gone offline and maybe led to, as you called it earlier, that um, primal brain that goes into fight, flight, or freeze, then we Mm -hmm. can help partner figure out what's going on within her because so many partners have said, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm scared, I, I doubt everything, I'm angry, I don't trust, and I'm showing up in a way I've never showed up before. I'm aggressive, I'm breaking things, I'm screaming, I, I, I'm scaring myself. And again, 
if they don't work with somebody who understands trauma, then obviously they may be told, hey, just work on your side of the street, or hey, just calm it down, or hey, maybe you need a hospitalization, you're out of control, and all of a sudden the survivor becomes the perpetrator, and there's a reversal of roles, and all of a sudden the partner is now seen as the bad the bad guy in the relationship. So I want to ask you, do you think understanding betrayal trauma has impacted the way our community has worked with addicts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look back to, to the, not just the codependent model, but the co-addict model, and, and again, you know, doing the best we could, but didn't, didn't know it. But how many times did you hear a partner be told you're sicker than the addict, you know, and how, how damaging that was. And now that we understand, oh, this is trauma, this is betrayal trauma, our, our whole community can deal with this differently. I spend a lot of time when I'm working with addicts, educating them about the partner experience. We spend so much time educating about that the partner has experienced trauma, that many, many times, oftentimes, you know, uh, a PTSD diagnosis absolutely fits for what a partner has gone through and how they're managing that experience. Um, so much work goes into helping the addict understand the, and be sensitive to that partner's experience. I, I will often find myself telling addicts, look, you don't have to understand their behavior their behavior doesn't actually have to be rational. It doesn't have to be kind. It doesn't have to be any of those things. And I'm not going to tell you that what your partner is doing is really appropriate. It may not be. But the more important question than is it appropriate, is it kind, is it, is it what you would want them to do, the more important question is can you understand why that response made sense to them in that particular moment? And in order to do that, they have to be able to understand there was a trauma reaction. Their brain went offline and they're desperately trying to survive. They're desperately trying to make sure that they don't have that same experience happen to them again. There's so much, so much work that we do now with addicts and within this community about, you know, not giving partners a, a, a path, but about, really, truly understanding what they've gone through and why their behavior makes sense. Well, and Tim, that's what I'm so impressed about in terms of the course that you co-produced with your partner. I mean, you and Jeannie have really done a fabulous job of putting this introductory course together for people that are wanting to understand more about sex addiction and partner betrayal. And it's both, well, it's really three things. It is um, very psychobiological in nature. Mm-hmm. It helps you to understand what's going on from a neurological point of view, and then from a behavioral point of view, and even a historical point of view, so that people can understand how this addiction is now being treated and what is the most helpful thing to know about the addiction and what can you look for in, in the coupleship and individually and with partners. Tell us a little bit about that course. Yeah, I, I am really proud 
of that video course, Introduction to Sex Addiction and Partner Betrayal. Um, Jeannie and I, for many, many years, and, and I'm just, I will just praise Jeannie left and right. Let me take a moment to say I'm so fortunate that uh, my path crossed with Jeannie Vitoni's path way back in the day. Um, and she, with her expertise in trauma, walking in, and my work in sex addiction, and it was just, it was just a match. It was, it was a perfect clinical match coming together, and I'm very, very fortunate that, that, that she is my business partner. And we had been doing a course because we realized that there was some information that we wanted our clients to have that as much as we tried to bring it into um, individual therapy, it was, wasn't getting through the same way. It, it, was, it would have been helpful if people could have just had sort of like this basic foundation walking through the door. So we used to teach this course. We'd do it on a Saturday. It was like three hours in the morning. Uh, and over the years, the content of that course changed because our understanding of addiction, our understanding of neurology, our understanding of, of the partner experience, then eventually the, the treatment models that we started using uh, with partners because they became more effective and the treatment models for addicts evolved. And so the course kept changing. And at some point we realized we really wanted to be able to give this information to people more when they needed it, not just when our, our schedules allowed us to offer a class. And also we thought we had a, had a message that we could share with people more than just in the immediate Santa Rosa community together. And I'm so proud of it because you're right. We do talk a lot in that course about the psychobiological uh, experience. We talk about, you know, those behavioral patterns of addiction and what we see. And then we explain how the neurology behind addiction makes, makes sense, helps us to understand those patterns and helps us to understand what's going on. It also helps us to understand why, why stopping an addiction, again, is more than just there's – a, there's a um, Bob Newhart skit that I particularly like where he plays a psychiatrist and his answer to the clinician, to the uh, client coming in to see him is just to stop it. Whatever you're doing, stop it. And helping – understanding the neurology helps us to understand why the answer is so much more complex than just stop it. But we were also able to go in and talk about, you know, trauma – the neurology of trauma, how it shows up in the partner and, and how it plays out in relationships and how all the different things that we do treatment-wise really are based on and, and, and have come evolved out of a solid understanding of the neurology of addiction, the neurology of trauma, and, you know, these evolving treatment models that, you know, just allow us to be more and more effective all the time. Yeah, and and I tell you, this course is just so well done because it you call it the introduction to, and yet what I know is that a lot of people are hungry for trying to understand how this could have happened. And in some ways, well, in many ways, it teaches partners that this sex addiction in no way was a part of them. It was about compulsion, and it was about something that couldn't get stopped until recovery tools were available. And then it teaches addicts that the partner's responses to him or even to a trigger that they don't understand 
is not so much about what they're doing today. It's what has what they've done and the consequences of their actions from the past. And so I think it's really helpful for anybody in any stage of their recovery. Uh, it reminds you of what you need to remember about yourself, and it takes some of that personalization out. You know, Tim, one of the things that I teach all people is is the fourth agreement that says, you know, don't take conflict personally. And we know that addicts are responsible for the conflict in in their marriage that is associated to their sex addiction. And at the same time, most triggers are not about what the addict is doing today. It's about all those unconscious links that a partner feels to date and times and smells and behavioral changes. And, and so if we can teach an addict how to contain their partner's angst, their triggers, their discomfort, their anxiety, then he can help her heal, which, of course, is the premise of my book. And so, oh, which, by the way, I love your book. Oh, thank you. Well, then I have to tell you, I love your book, too. Well, we're going to talk about that next. Um, but, you know, it just really helps to explain that phenomena that that it's really hard. I find that, you know, addicts and partners get in that dance of being so, so sad and hurt and being flooded with feelings. They forget about the things that you talk about in this introductory course. You know, and, and you brought up a really good point, which is about how the triggers aren't necessarily about what's happening now. Sometimes they are, but, you know, understanding mm-hmm. sort of that trauma response, one, for the partner, being able to recognize, oh, I'm, I'm having a trauma response. And, and dealing with trauma is so much more than just having a cognitive awareness of it, but it helps partners so much to be able to sort of see, oh, I'm responding to something, and either in the moment or afterwards to be able to come back and sort of take care of themselves and have a little bit of empathy for themselves. But with addicts, addicts have a tendency to drop into this shame space, whether that shame space looks like a collapse or whether that shame space looks like stepping up and being angry and putting on a, a, a big face or a big persona. But it's a shame space nonetheless. And when addicts can start to recognize oh, my partner is having a trauma reaction and her trauma reaction isn't about what happened now. It becomes easier for the addict to step away and say, oh, she's angry about what happened in the past. I can't change that. So all I can do rather than fix it, because addicts are notorious for wanting to, I refer to it as emotionally manipulating their partners, so that the partner's emotional state is more comfortable for them. And they just do that mm-hmm. unconsciously. And so it's easier for them to step away and not try to fix it, but just to be supportive. And then when they start to recognize, oh, these trauma reactions come up, not just when the exact same situation happens, but when things are similar to it, it's easier for them to, to have empathy you know, about, you know, Rob Weiss tells a story I've, I've always liked about an addict coming home from work who's feeling really great and he's solid and he's sober and he forgot to pick up some milk. So he swings by the store, grabs milk 
and he gets home. And when he gets home, he's 15 minutes late, and his wife in her trauma reaction, you know, fury. And when the addict can look at that and say, oh, she's reacting, and she's pointing at her, her watch, and she's wondering where I've been, and these last 15 minutes have been torture for her, it's easier for the addict to say, wow, I get it. It makes total sense to me that you'd be triggered. I'm so sorry. I forgot to get the milk. You know, I probably should have called you to give you a heads up. My bad. I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? This is your phrase, I think. Is there anything I can do to help you feel safer right now? And Mm -hmm. I will tell the addict, look, it's not going to be a good evening whether you handle this well or not. But if you approach this from a place of recognizing that they're, they're having a trauma reaction, there's nothing you can do about it. You might have been doing everything you needed to do, but that's what's happening. It's not going to be a good evening. But how you respond can either undermine your relationship or it can create a foundation for your relationship to build in the future. And if you're able to say, I totally get it. I understand why you're, why you're scared. I understand what's coming up. I'm sorry. That was not my intention, but I completely understand anything I can do right now to help you feel safer. When you do that, you're building a foundation for the relationship moving forward. And to quote your book, that's when you kick into helping her heal. Yeah, absolutely. And so, obviously, your course is instrumental in explaining the introduction to sex addiction and partner betrayal. And and it came about because you educated people face-to-face and you decided you wanted to offer this to the masses. How can people find this course? The easiest way to find this course is to go to our website, which is www.willowtreesantarosa.com. It's all one word. Uh, and down at the bottom of the homepage, you'll find a link that takes you to our web, web course, uh, web course, or this uh, online video series that we did, which, again, I'm just so proud of it. We talk so much about trauma and how it shows up in the addict and the partner. I think the other piece, can, if I'm just going to go on a little tangent, if you don't mind, Carol, the, mm-hmm. the other piece that I, that I really feel so proud about is that we talk about treatment for the addict and the partner, and we're able to talk about it from this realm of neurology. Because when I tell an addict, hey, you just need to make phone calls, you need to go to meetings, you need to do all that stuff, they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. But when I can tell an addict, look, your brain is going to be hijacked. Your frontal lobe is going to go off, offline. It's going to tell you all kinds of crazy things. Your brain has been rewired to function, to crave, to desire your addiction. And it's not good. And, and all the parts of your brain that normally contain it and stop it are malfunctioning. Your brain is broken. If you are having an addiction trigger and you're trying to use your brain alone to manage it, you're not going to be successful in the long run. You need to borrow other people's brains because your brain, from a neurological perspective, is malfunctioning in that moment. When I can give them that neurological understanding of what's going on in their brain, it makes it so much easier for them to go, oh, it's not that I don't have enough willpower. 
It's not that I'm not smart enough. It's not any of those self-shaming ideas that go through their head. It's, oh, my brain is malfunctioning. I need to reach out to all these other people out here because I need their help. And then we can also talk about other aspects of treatment, about this is how we're reprogramming your brain so that your brain will eventually function like a healthy recovery brain. But this is why we need to do things in this way so that your brain can get reprogrammed to function better. And we do the same thing with the partner. When, well, you, you know this in, in the, 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 the partner trauma model. I didn't get the name right. But in the partner trauma model, you know, we, we talk so much about we have to understand the neurology of trauma. We have to help the partner to understand and heal their brain so that everything can stay online and the, the reactions to those either overt or um, metaphorical triggers don't throw them for the loop that they used to so that they can start to manage their life in a different way. And so in this video course, I'm just so pleased not only that we got to talk about how neurology impacts and shows up in addiction and, and the partner experience, but also why we treat addicts and partners the way we do, which is based on the underlying neurology of sex addiction and trauma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not that I want to uh, transfer over, but that's what I think I love so much about your book is because it really is a step-by-step format to help a sex addict, male or female, um, look at their addiction differently, experience life differently. I mean, you give them a passage, you give them a skill or a practice, um, you normalize things for them, and you give them hope all at the same time. Can you go into that book a little bit? And, of course, I'm talking for our listening audience to Tim Stein, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's a CSAT supervisor. He is a certified clinical partner specialist of APSAT, which everybody knows that I'm a part of, too. And he actually wrote a daily meditation book called Gifts of Recovery, Daily Meditations for Men and Women in Recovery from Sex Addiction. And... Um, it just is such a calming experience. So tell, tell our listening audience a little bit about this book and what made you write it. Well, you know, you started out this whole segment by talking about how, how much work I have done and you. And I will just say it's easy because I know I've, I've talked with you for years. I know how much passion you have about doing this work. And, and this book for me came out of my passion. I had been mm-hmm. doing this work and I wanted to give back to people. So I started to do a, a thought for the week type of format just to put something out to other people. Cause there were so many little metaphors that I wanted to be able to share with people and, and give back. And I have passion. And so when I write these things, you end up with me coming out through the, the explanations. And because I'm fascinated with the neurology of trauma, the neurology of addiction, because I'm fascinated with partner sensitivity and what really helps addicts and why it helps them, all of that stuff gets integrated into the, this book. So I had been writing, you know, thoughts for the week for seven years and decided it was time to take them and put them into a book format that people could 
hold on to and use as a daily reader. And um, I, 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 again, I, I really am just very proud that it, it incorporated so much into it. It's not just a daily reader from a, from a recovery perspective for an addict. It's a daily reader that incorporates recovery perspectives, but it also has parts of it that talk about neurology. It has parts of it that talk about partner sensitivity. It has parts of it that, that ed- educate about trauma reactions and why we have to do things the way we do. There's, there's a whole clinical piece that gets incorporated into this book and into some of the, the individual meditations in there that, um, that I'm, I'm really proud about not offering just a daily meditation reader, but a daily meditation or a daily reader for addicts that really has a clinical piece that's woven into it, not just, a, not just the recovery stuff. Yeah, do you have your book right there? I do. You're going to ask me to find one that I like, aren't you? Exactly. And I that was not planned, was it? I didn't say get your book. I'm going to want you to but I love your book and I want people to get an example of how you do this. Absolutely. Sure. Here. This is this is one I particularly like. Um, June 1st. Okay. This is, oh, it's a therapy lesson. I, I always identify where this came from. This is a lesson that I have been, uh, you know, giving to clients in my therapy sessions for many, many years, and I use it as the basis of this particular meditation. Okay. Just because it is okay for others does not mean it is okay for you. Everyone is different. What we need for balance and sobriety may be different than what someone else needs. This is true for us when we compare our sobriety and recovery boundaries to other addicts. This is especially true when we, as addicts, compare ourselves to someone who is not an addict. What may be normal, acceptable, and even healthy for a non-addict can be a death knell for someone with an addiction. More than one of us has found ourselves in relapse and saying, They let themselves do this behavior, and I thought that sounded like a good idea for me. We must each take responsibility for realizing and respecting our own boundaries. Am I finding effective boundaries for myself, or am I copying the boundaries of others? What can others do that simply does not work for me? What gifts await me as I choose my boundaries based on what I need, not what others can do. Mm. Very good. Very good. And so you said that was June 1st. Yep. Yeah. And so and, you again, know. You, you give some insight and then you encourage people to look at things differently so that, you know, when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there there are so many lessons that we've been talking about, but it is. It's not just it's not just, hey, here's this idea. It's hey, here's this idea and how might you apply it to your life? How might you apply it to your sobriety and recovery? And I am not naive enough to think that anybody is going to read that particular meditation and it's going to change their life. But that meditation can be part of the seed that gets planted 
that helps people to slowly change their life over time. Because that's what recovery is. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody if somebody feels like, you know, they go from uh, being an addict to being a sober recovery individual in, you know, six months, I, I'm always a little skeptical. Uh, it's it, it, they might be sober in six months, but it's going to take longer for the recovery piece to actually sink in. So, you know, we do a lot of planting of seeds. We do a lot of, you know, slowly guiding and helping people recognize stuff. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Now I got to ask you, is there obvious, well, is there any mutuality between this online course and that daily meditation book? Well, a lot of the same themes are present. You know, for example, here's another one, if you don't mind. Uh, January 29th, Please. this is one that has to do with neurology. This is a quote from Warren Buffett. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. The human mind is a combination of Velcro and Teflon. It hangs on to negative information as a means of protecting us from being hurt. It tends to let go of positive information because having or not having this information will not harm us. This Velcro-Teflon effect applies to how others think about us as well. If we do something that is hurtful or scary to others, they will remember this easily. If we do something nice and loving, this may be remembered, but less strongly. When considering our reputation, it is important to see our positive choices and actions as one step forward and our missteps as five steps back. When have I damaged my reputation with minimal effort? When have my positive choices or actions not been noticed? What gifts await me as I accept that I need to, take, need to make multiple positive choices to overcome a single misstep. You know, and what I like about that is that we're talking about not just, you know, people don't like it when you're mean to them and, and, and they may not appreciate you being nice to them as much as you'd like them to be. What we're really talking about in there is, hey, there's a neurology behind this. And the neurology of your brain is designed to remember the dangerous stuff because it's how it keeps you safe. And then you can take that and apply it to yeah, you've been sober for a month and your wife doesn't trust you yet because you had years and years of being untrustworthy when your addiction that she still remembers. And it's going to take you a long time of consistent, trustworthy, sober recovery behavior for her brain to start to trust you again. And so, you know, the, the video series talks about neurology. It talks about treatment. It talks about healing relationships. And all of those themes are incorporated into, you know, various meditations uh, in my, my daily reader book uh, as well. And I, I, again, I just, I have passion for this stuff. Put, putting this stuff together is really, um, in some ways, you know, I wouldn't say the most important stuff because I'm a father and I'm a husband. And I think that that really takes a priority. But behind those things, this is some of the most important stuff that I do. And I have such passion for it. Well, I know, and and that definitely shows. You know, like you said, you've been writing this book for seven years. The online course is brilliant. 
And people can actually get on your website and they're able to see um, some of this course so they can learn a little bit about how it breaks down and, and the specifics behind it. So I want to remind everybody that they really need to go take a look at the course. And you said that they can do that by going to www.willowtreesantarosa.com. Scroll down to the course. It's, isn't it right on your homepage? It is. It's right on the homepage at the bottom. Thought. And, and when they look at it, it really does break down into the modules or chapters or lessons that you want them to learn. Correct? It does. Jeannie, when we were putting this together, Jeannie was actually very adamant. And I so appreciate that she pushed us on this one. She wanted to make sure that, that it was short video segments that people could digest easily if they wanted to. So some of them get a little bit long. Some of them are 15 or 20 minutes, but most of them are, you know, five to 10 minutes that to watch a little video, you can take the information in and then you can take pause and take it at your own pace. And, you know, I, I think people have found it really helpful to, to not have like an entire video where they have to sit down and digest in one sitting, but they can just watch these different chunks and pull the stuff out that they need at that particular time. Absolutely. And that is, uh, having some online courses myself, that is truly one of the greatest benefits is that they can do it on their own time and they can go over it and over it and over it. So now I'm assuming they can also get your book um, through Amazon and some of the very basic ways we all obtain books these days. Yeah. Yep, no, the book is available on, on Amazon, uh, or, again, you can go to our website, www.willowtreesantarosa.com, and scroll to the bottom, and there's a link to uh, the book down there at the bottom of that page as well. So try to make it as easy okay, to find can... as possible. <laughs> yeah, and Tim Stein, thank you so much for talking about your beliefs and what you've seen changed in the last 10 years and the work you're doing is amazing and you know Jeannie Jeannie and you are so um, compatible in how you work with people and how you see people that guys you don't know this but people just assume they're married because they work so well together and they they are not they have their own partners and and, um, so kudos to both of you for doing such a good job Oh, thank you. And, and as always, Carol, thank you so much. I know how much energy and time you put into being a support and a, a guide for this community, and it is so appreciated. So thank you, you know, for everything you do, and thank you for having me on your show so that we could have this conversation. Absolutely, and we'll talk soon. Okay. You take care. All righty. Thank you. And I did see that somebody has been patiently waiting On the line, I'm sorry we didn't get to his call. And, hey, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week. Lots of hope, strength, and recovery here at Sex Health with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one.